So ask your question, Travis. What's your question? Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Chip and Eric reading through the Bible. It's Chip and Eric and Friends Day. We have friends here today. Travis and Amy, you guys, I just love you guys and love being around you. So we're having a lot of fun figuring things out because, hey, we're reading surprise readings today instead of maybe what we were planning on, which is great. Yep, that worked for us. It's going to be awesome. It's the Bible no matter what. Say hi, Amy. Hi. Yeah. Okay, that's proof that you're here. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, today is day something. It's upside down for me. Day 14 which is awesome. And we're reading Genesis 33 through 35 and John 7, 32 through 53. Okay, I will start. Unless, actually, I'll let one of you start so you don't have to read that horrible chapter 34 story. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Then Esau looked at the woman, looked at the woman and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children of God. These are the children that God graciously give, has given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Next came Leah and her children, and they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what are, what are all these flocks and herds I met as I came, Esau asked. Jacob replied, These are gifts, my lord. These are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother and I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, No, if I found favor with you, please accept the gifts for me. And with what a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. Please take the gift I have brought you, for God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough, and because Jacob insists, Esau finally accepted the gift. Well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, you can see, my lord, that some of the children are very young, and the flocks and herds have their young too. If they are driven too hard, even for one day, all the animals could die. Please, my lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and the children. I will meet you at Seir. All right, Esau said, but at at least let me assign some of my men to guide and protect you. Jacob responded, that's not necessary. It's enough that you've received me warmly, my lord. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled up to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. This is why the place was called Succoth, which means shelters. Later, having traveled all the way from Padan Aram, Jacob arrives safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and named it El Elohe Israel. There you go. El Elohe Israel. 
God, the God of Israel. Okay. Genesis chapter 34, revenge against Shechem. One day Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when a local, the local prince, Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, saw Dinah, he seized her and raped her. But then he fell in love with her, and he tried to win her affection with tender words. He said to his father Hamor, Get me this young girl, I want to marry her. Soon Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter Dinah. But since his sons were out in the fields herding the livestock, he said nothing until they returned. Hamor, Shechem's father, came to discuss the matter with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field as, as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, something that should never be done. Hamor tried to speak with Jacob and his sons. My son Shechem is truly in love with your daughter, he said. Please let him marry her. In fact, let's arrange other marriages too. You give us your daughters for our sons, and we will give you our daughters for your sons. And you may live among us. The land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us, and feel free to buy property in the area. Then Shechem himself spoke to Dinah, Dinah's fathers, and her brothers. Please be kind to me and let me marry her, he begged. I will give you whatever you ask. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will gladly pay it. Just give me the girl as my wife. But since Shechem had defiled their sister, Dinah, Jacob's sons responded deceitfully to Shechem and his father, his father Hamor. They said to them, We couldn't possibly allow this because you're not circumcised. It would be a disgrace for our sister to marry a man like you. But here's a solution. If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters, and we'll take our daughters we'll take your daughters for ourselves. We will live among you and become one people. But if you don't agree to be circumcised, we will take her and be on our way. Hamor and his son Shechem agreed to their proposal. Shechem wasted no time in acting on this request, for he wanted Jacob's daughter desperately. Shechem was a highly respected member of his family, and he went with his father Hamor to present this proposal to the leaders at the town gate. These men are our friends, they said. Let's invite them to live here among us and trade freely. Look, the land is large enough, is large enough to hold them. We can take their daughters as wives and let them marry our sons. But they will consider staying here and becoming one people with us only if all of our men are circumcised just as they are. But if we do this, all our livestock and possessions will eventually all their livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. Come, let's settle to let's agree to their terms and let them settle here among us. So all the men in the town council agreed with Hamor and Shechem, and every male in town was circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, who were Dinah's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every male there, including Hamor and his son Shechem. They killed them with their swords and took Dinah from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. Meanwhile, the rest of Jacob's sons arrived. Finding the men slaughtered, they plundered the town there because their sister had been defiled there. They seized all the flocks and herds and donkeys, everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. They looted all their wealth and plundered their houses. They also took all their little children and wives and led them away as captives. Afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have ruined me. You've made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined, and my entire household will be wiped out. But why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute, they retorted angrily. Chapter 35, Jacob returns to Bethel. Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the, to the God who appears to you when you have fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Get rid of all... Your pagan idols, purify your yourselves and put on clean clothes. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answers my prayers. 
when I have when I was in distress. He's been there with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings and buried them under the great tree near Shechem. As they set out, a terror of God, terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area, so no one attacked Jacob's family. Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, also called Bethel, in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there, named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because God had appeared to him there when they were fleeing from his brother Esau. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. Ever since the tree has been called Alabeketh, which means oak of weeping. Now that Jacob had returned from Pada Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will also be you, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shabbai, God Almighty, and fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation. You will become a great nation. Even many nations, kings, will be among you and your descendants. And I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where they had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. Then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. And Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because God had spoken to him there. The deaths of Rachel and Isaac. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid. You have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. Then Jacob traveled on and camped beyond Migdal Eder. While he was living there, Reuben had intercourse with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Jacob soon heard about it. These are the names of the 12 sons of Jacob. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, were Gad and Asher. These are the names of the sons who were born to Jacob at Paddan Aram. So Jacob returned to his father, Isaac, in Mamre, which is near Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, where Abram, Abraham and Isaac had both lived as foreigners. Isaac lived for 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. All right, we're going to jump forward here to John chapter 7. 
John chapter 7, verse 32 through 53. When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me. You will search for me, but not find me. And you cannot go where I'm going. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go? They asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews and other lands? Maybe he will even teach the Gentiles. What does he mean when he says, you'll search for me, but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going? Jesus promises living water. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. From the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living waters, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not, but had not, been, not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. Division and unbelief. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others said, But he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and the Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God, God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. And that is our reading today. I'll say it. Hey, thanks guys. Um, that was really cool. So we read all of those stories. There's a lot in there. My goodness. There is. Um, you guys are lucky you didn't have to read the next one with the people of Edom and all the names here mm. in Genesis mm-hmm. 36. Yuck. Um, <laughs> so we read that, and the questions that we're asking ourselves as we read are, how does this help me love God more, and how does this help me love others more or better or whatever? So my question for you guys, and you can answer either one of those, is that does this help you love God more or others more? I would say one thing that helps me love God more is in in this you see the passage um, in Genesis how the women are treated different sometimes, but God and His people that really followed Him hmm. um, finally decided to stand up for the women that they had that belonged to them and that their sister. Yeah, and um, you don't always see that. Sometimes the women aren't valued as much, but mm-hmm. you also see the way that God treat, treats women in the New Testament, and Jesus, the way he treats women, he doesn't treat them any different. So right. I think that um, in the story you can see that, that, that it makes me love God more, that he sees all of us as equal at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, he definitely, the, the Hebrew faith definitely transformed the view of women 
on women in that time and in that region. So yeah, absolutely. That's a good thing. Amy, you got anything? Well, um, a couple of things. First, um, loving God more. I, you know, how awesome it is that he gave us um, the Holy Spirit. Mm. I love reading about that. It's one of the reasons why I love the book of John as well. Um, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, that he breathed the yeah, Holy Spirit, yeah, you know, and totally. it just, um, which is a different chapter. But anyway, and so loving God more, the fact that he loves us enough to, to daily, you know, to give us his word and to daily be with us um, in spirit um, to help guide us. The other thing that I find interesting is also it's talking in here that, um, you know, uh, are you from Galilee too? <laughs> and when they're talking about nothing good from comes from Galilee, and I think that's interesting. And, it, you know, I think a lot of times we can look at other people and think, well, you know, maybe they're different than us and have that idea that um, maybe, you know, we kind of look down on people. Yeah. We can really yeah. fall into totally. that trap. And I love where it talks about here because Jesus was from Galilee. Yeah. And so that helps me to love other people more because I can see that, you know, we don't know people's mm-hmm. backgrounds. We don't know, you know, um, so we shouldn't look at where they come from or their circumstances and then just judge them as a person. Yeah. Um, we are called to love them. Yeah. And so I think that's pretty cool. I was going to go with that too as, as how this helps me love others. And one of the things I was thinking is, you know, the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the, the village where King David was born. So a couple of things with that is, one, I mean, we know this. We just had Christmas. It's still fresh in our minds. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. But no one took the time to ask that question. Right. They just said, oh, no, he's from Galilee. So, first of all, they didn't take the time to, to get to know Jesus, to ask him the, the question that would verify for them the thing that they were doubting. The other piece is that they're taking their understanding of their religion and they're cramming God into that box instead of letting the truth of what God has said speak for itself. And that was a constant problem with the Pharisees is that they would say, well, the scriptures say this, the scriptures say this, the scriptures say this. And God's saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with what the scriptures say. I'm trying to help you understand what the scriptures say, right? That was the constant thing that God was saying through Christ all the time was I'm trying to help you understand what the scriptures really say about that. So, yes, the scriptures do say that he'll be born in Bethlehem, but that doesn't mean that he wouldn't move to Galilee, mm-hmm. right, or spend time in Egypt mm-hmm. Or, you know, so I just love that, that we get to see this picture and John is clearly writing this literally 60 years after it happened. He's writing about this and he's thinking back and saying, you know, they were so intent on their religion that they missed their God. And that is the overarching theme of John that happens all the time. So I love that. That really makes me help God help. Excuse me. That really makes me love God more. It helps me love God more because I can set aside my presuppositions to see what he's actually saying to me. I don't come to scripture with my presuppositions. I let scripture speak for itself. Hey, how this helps me love others more. Um, You go from Jacob and Esau make peace to (laughs) Simeon and Levi, (laughs) like go nuts on the town, right? Like, man, uh, this is a very distinct contrast, Mm -hmm. you know, where Jacob stole Esau's whole life from him, you know, and Esau's getting ready to mourn the death of his father, you know, or like, and, and, and move out on his own and stuff. And it's just not allowed to happen. He's not allowed to function that way. 
and you know, I guess really the aging of his father, but um, he gets all of that taken from him and tricked. And yet when he sees Jacob, he throws his arm around, mm-hmm. around him, gives him a kiss, weeps, just so happy to see him. And then meanwhile, and I'm not saying that, man, what happened in Shechem was good. I mean, by no means, right? And I, I do love that they defended their sister, but the destroying of an entire town instead of the holding of one person accountable is like you know, what a complete difference. And Mm -hmm. so I guess this just communicates to me, like a lot of people have forgiven me for a lot of things. And so I hope that when terrible things are done to me, I can forgive other people as well. So, um, that's how that helps me love others more too. Cool. Guys got any last minutes? So you want to do any shout outs? Is there someone in your life you want to shout out? You're more than welcome to. Oh, just our kids. Hopefully they're going to be listening to this someday and and get to hear us. um... Well, your kids are awesome. I love your kids, even though one of them did assault me with a balloon one time. I can probably tell you which one that one is. <laughs> Actually, it was two of them, so yeah, probably. Oh, man, but you guys, thank you so much for being on with us today, and happy Sunday to everybody listening, and I hope you guys enjoy church wherever you're going. Make sure you go somewhere today, and uh, yeah, I'll be back again tomorrow with, I think, Chip. So, cool. If, if you bring your kids to Heston, we'll watch them for you. That's right. Yeah, come to Harvest Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis and Amy are at the helm of our nursery. So um, if you bring your 12-year-old, they're not going to watch them. No. No. No, we won't. <laughs> We're not doing that. Yeah. No, there's other people for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. All right. Thanks, everybody.